Welcome to Identity Matters Podcast. Hi, my name is Steve Finney, and I will be your speaker today. Every believer needs to understand who they are in Christ. In our series, Identity Theft, we'll do just that. Help each believer truly know who they are in Christ. Thank you for joining us. This is part B. The oh woe is me's, which my flesh pattern is filled with that one. It does no good. It accomplishes nothing. In fact, it's repulsive to the life of Christ in me. Christ wants us to embrace the rejection and the slaps so that we can introduce them to salvation. Now, I can about imagine what was going through Peter's mind like, excuse me, excuse me here, uh, John, did he say 70 times 7? And John goes, I, I think he did. Do you want to ask him to say it again, or do you want me to? 70 times 7, do you understand that is a... That is a crazy number. Now, ladies, that means your husband has to commit adultery on you 490 times this week before he can say, I will not forgive you and I am going to divorce you. Divorce is evidence of unforgiveness. Do you understand that? Divorce in the Latin comes from two Latin words, division and force, divorce. I could preach for three hours on what it means in the Hebrew. It is absolutely evil. Can you imagine Jesus saying to you after you keep going back to your sin over 490 times and have Jesus say, to you one time in your prayer closet you're having this time with Jesus working out whatever and Jesus decides I think I'm going to have to do what I did with Paul with Steve I'm going to have to show up personally so he writes it in red letters so he shows up in my prayer closet and he says Stephen I am finished with you you have returned to this sin one too many Times. I'm done. I'm divorcing you. I know you've been my bridal member, but I am divorcing you. I am finished. Do you know what would happen to me if that actually was done? My heart would not be able to take that kind of pain. I would probably die on the spot. He said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. And if you get into the Greek, you'll understand it's the same words that's being used for divorce. 
He will never divorce you, bridal member of Christ. But yet you're running around as I have received a message last night quite late from an old contact from almost 15 years ago confessing to me an adulterous situation and how he is warring with divorcing her. And as I'm sitting there watching this movie we decided to watch, I am texting him a rebuke and putting him in his place. Never, ever consider divorce. Ever. That will be the one sin that you pass to your children that will devastate your heritage. And it certainly will communicate that Christ will leave her and divorce her. 602-292-2982, I do not believe in divorce. Ever. Now, if the spouse leaves you and divorces you, as some of you listening know exactly what kind of advice I give you, do not sign the divorce papers. Force the judge to sign your signature. It's federal law. God does not want you in a position of when your grandchildren show up and one of your grandchildren says to you, I heard you divorced grandma. You need to actually be able to say, no, I did not. And as you know, grandpa never got married again. It's because grandpa believes that I am still married to your grandmother who has now been married three times since me. I love your grandmother, and she is my wife, but I cannot be with her because God says no, because she married another. That is settling the gospel in that grandchild's life, and that grandchild will carry that into their marriage, and hopefully adopt the same method of madness. This is what Jesus is laying out here. I just gave you one of the most practical things I have to deal with as a discipler, and I don't always get the positive, got it, I won't do that. Typically what we get is, got it, I hear you loud and clear. Then I get news that they divorced. That is not only called a fake believer. It's called lying. And people are so used to lying to their pastors and lying to their disciples and lying to their daddies and lying to their mommies that it's just nothing nowadays to nod your head yes while you're going to go do the opposite when you get away from that person or that authority's presence. You try to have that work here. Try to say yes to Jesus Christ and then put a knife in his back. Let's see where that gets you, fake Christian. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you have to believe in everything he believes. Do you know that? 
You don't pick and choose his doctrines off of a drop-down menu. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you must and are required to believe everything that Jesus believed. You say, well, where are we going to find what Jesus believed? You might want to check the New Testament and the Old Testament. Because there's a full manual that got put together by a living God that told you exactly what the three of them believe. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So we find one of the disciples catching the foundation of this message, which is extending forgiveness. With this great realization, Peter asks the Lord with the question, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me that I should forgive him? Seven times? And of course, Jesus putting that number in front of Peter and the rest of the disciples, what the norm was for Jesus. Looking at Peter, and let's just back this moment up a little bit when Jesus and Peter were having a little bit of a dialogue. When Jesus looks at, at Peter after Peter asks him a silly question, kind of like, you know, a four-year-old asking, Daddy, do you love me? We would kind of expect that, right? Because their mind is not completely enveloped in what true love is. Or a child saying, I hate you. Well, four-year-old says it, you kind of go, I understand that. But when a 40-year-old says that to Jesus Christ, I hate you. That's not a real good thing to say at 40 years of age to the son of eternity. But Peter looks at Jesus and he must have been uncomfortable and he must have been threatened a little bit and he must have been really focused on himself. I can't relate to any of those, but... He must have been because he looks at Jesus and says, um, I, got, I got a couple questions here. Um, Jesus knowing exactly where Peter is, what he's struggling with, he knows. And Jesus goes, Peter, do you love and of course, Peter says, well, I war with that every day. I really do. I mean, you're a tough guy to love, i got to tell you that. <laughs> no, that's not what he says. What does Peter say to Jesus with this very simple question that Jesus already had the answer to? What's the secret to discipleship, Jess? You only ask questions you already have the answers to. Now, if I'm not discipling someone, I can ask someone a question of things I don't know. But when you're discipling someone, you always ask questions you already have the answer to. Because once you throw the teacher off, the student wins. Now, that's what's going on here. Jesus is saying, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's response is, Yes, Lord, I love you. Now, Jesus repeating himself 
Seems a bit strange to me. But he does. He says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's response is, You know I love you. In other words, I know you're not an idiot, Jesus. I know you know the answer to this question. Well, it didn't end there. So Jesus asked the third time, and Jesus loves his threes. So he asked the third time of Peter, Peter, do you love me? And the scriptures say that Peter became exasperated. Look it up in the Greek. Peter became mentally disturbed and then became angry. Betrayal. Betrayal was being revealed in Peter. Now, not only did he say that he was in this state of betrayal, same words we used in communicating this message in our series is in that passage. When Peter barked back at the Lord, it was evident, and Jesus wanted that to come forward. He was calling it out of Peter because what Jesus was about to say very soon to Peter was going to mess up his mind. And he barked back at Jesus basically calling him an idiot. Jesus Christ. You talk about betrayal. So what does Jesus go on to say to Peter? Peter, Peter, before the cock crows, you will have what? Denied me, the second most common word used for betrayal. Peter, Peter, before the cock crows, you will betray me three times. Can you imagine what Peter was feeling or thinking about this moment? I think our Savior has lost his mind. Because my loyalty and faithfulness to Jesus should be obvious to everyone. I am the foundation of the church. I will be the first pope. Don't you guys know it? Do you want to ask him if he's okay? Jesus was okay. He was dragging out betrayal and I love doing that. And that's why I believe in asking questions you already have the answers to. When someone says to me certain things, I say, hey, I just want to know if you're still going to be hanging in there to blah, 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 blah. Oh, absolutely. I already know they're gone. I already know they're part of a trail. I've already heard of who said what to what to who because it got said to me. I already know. And they're lying 
right straight in front of you, looking at you like they're loyal. This is Peter. Great student. An excellent betrayer. The spirit cannot be released to do this kind of deliverance or healing or uniting. Unless one thing happens. Does anyone want to take a guess on what that one thing has to be? The downward spiral diagram. Now you guys have heard this taught in the conference. You've heard it taught in some other messages I've done or whatever. But I'm telling you. Connecting this to betrayal is very, very important. When someone is in the process by the living God of taking them down the downward spiral that their self-life is produced, saved or not saved, doesn't make any difference. And they're sliding down this, this spiral and you are trying to communicate with them bring restoration, resolve something or whatever, when they're about halfway down this spiral. So the question I ask is, who's the stupid one? Now remember, stupid is a great word, remember? It's knowing the truth, but not able to deliver its promise. That's stupidity. So you're the indwelt believer and you're trying to stop this person from going down the downward spiral. And they're about halfway down and you're lecturing to them, you're sending them Bible verses, you're, you're sending them whatever. And there seems to be this panic when we see people going down the spiral and we want to make them feel better. I say, let's get her done. Let's put some oil on the slide. Let's assist them to go into that living death as soon as possible. Let's not drag it out for 15 years. Would someone please tell this poor lady the truth? Now we lie to them through our niceties and trying to make them feel good or we try to bring this fake temporary healing in the relationship when they're going to do the same thing Peter did when he walked away from Jesus. Jesus did not try to stop Peter from being a betrayer. Do you see that? He set him up for the alarm. Not the first time because Peter was clueless after the cock crowed the first time. He didn't go like this when the cock went, ah, ah, Peter didn't go, oh boy, that's one. Do I want to go for two? If I go for two, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose something. I'm not sure what it is. but So the, he betrays again. The cock crows. And do you think he went, oh, I've got one left. Do, do I want to use it? That's not how it worked. Peter, in his stupidity, he knew the truth. Jesus set him up for the truth. He told him the truth. He told the disciples the truth 
24-7. And they were as dumb as mice. So what makes the connection of going from dumb as mice to being what Peter was a year after the resurrection? It's called the indwelling Holy Spirit. That's it. We're all betrayers without Jesus. Don't try to re-educate. Don't try to transform. Don't try to stop someone from hurting you when the mandates that are in the mind of Jesus are opposite of that. Jesus says, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to the left as well. If someone takes your shirt, offer them your coat. If someone forces you to go one mile, go two. You see, he's not interested in fixing the fix that's fixed on you to stop you from fixing yourself and other people. He's not interested in it. He wants you to spiral down to a living death. He wants you to go into that dark hole, which is called the tomb. He wants you to let the Spirit bring resurrection life to you while you're in the tomb. And when you shoot out of that tomb, which looks like this, you shoot out of that dark place, and the first thing that happens is you deny yourself, you pick up your cross and follow Christ, you worship and praise Christ, not yourself. Expectations are from God, not your betrayer. And then the mature love for the betrayer is there because there's a release of Christ loving them through you. Spiritual freedom for you, spiritual freedom for them. And it turns into ministry. The end goal for everything Christ does is to work you. And if you don't believe me, ask my wife. I love it. I am compelled to do the work for Christ. But I also don't want to be stupid. I want to let Christ do it through me. So the energy level returns quickly and the power is always available and so forth and so on. That's that. We go into that dark tomb often. It's a good thing I don't live close to Jesus' tomb, but I'd probably go in there on a regular basis and have my pity parties. And I'd walk around looking at the, the, the walls of the tomb and carve how, you know, Peter hurt me, said these words to me. I mean, we walk back into the tomb, we sit down there and we have our pity parties, and we somehow think that the Spirit is going to feel sorry for us. When the Holy Spirit would say, Stephen, get out of that tomb. You no longer live there. I've delivered you from the domain of darkness. Come out! Now! I always find it a little bit amazing that when we read in the scriptures how strong Christ would get when someone was playing around with darkness. Lazarus, come forth! 
Why? Because we're flesh dumb. We expect the millennial Jesus to walk in there any moment and put his arm around and says, it's going to be just fine. It's all right. You know, we all kind of feel depressed once in a while. Jesus doesn't feel depression. Did he at one time? Count on it. But the tomb delivered him in a very powerful way. So I'm finishing up here loving the enemy, praying for those who persecute you. Love your betrayer and commit to pray for them daily and you will notice a complete difference when you have this thought that is not pleasant about your betrayer. There's a certain person locally that has wounded me quite deeply and people expect me to despise this man and every time I drive by his office you know what rolls out of my mouth? This will stand before the throne of God. Lord, I love that man. Is today the day of his salvation? And I do love him. When God gives you a love for an enemy, it can't be taken away. Even though the enemy may be thinking completely different. Life goes on, that's the fact. So as the scripture says, the sun rises and sets on the wicked. The sun rises and sets on the saints. Basically, the conclusion here is that life goes on. So should we. I know personally from baby to being born again baby, and even years after. But I know personally what it feels like not to let go and go on. My flesh bounces around trying to find a balance between whatever to Lord, I am free. And I just bounce around in that box and God allows me to bounce around in that box because there's no solutions in the box. There's only solutions in Christ. And he lets me bounce around in there like a marble. Could easily stop me, but he doesn't. Because he needs to have me come to my senses by my own consequences of disbelief. Downward spiral. Next slide tells us that we should not do things because of rewards, but the reality is 3,894 references in the Word of God about rewards. That is way more than the statement of salvation in the Old Testament and New Testament. There's something about rewards we're not to make a big deal about. We're not to make them to be our goal. 
But the reality is, there's tons of rewards waiting. And many of those are directly associated with how we handle persecution, distress, and difficulties. Remember when Paul was interceding three times that this demon would leave him alone? If you don't believe me, the passage talks about a messenger of Satan. If you look up in the Greek, it is demon. There was a demon bothering him, and he entreated the Lord three times that it may part from Paul. It was like external sandpaper. And the term buffeting was rock upon rock. And he asked three times of the Lord that it would part from him. And those of you who believe in the red letter editions and have a red letter edition, look in your Bible right now because you're going to find that this is the only red letters 91 years after Jesus died on the cross. Which means Jesus showed up personally to Paul and said the famous little phrase, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is perfected in your weakness. Bye-bye, Paul. It's gone. There was no paragraphs. There was no extensive conversation. There was no tea time in the tomb. None of that. He just came in one liner and bye-bye. No, I take that back. He didn't even get a bye-bye out of him. My grace is sufficient, which means it covers all of your prayer requests. My grace is sufficient for you, Paul, for you, believer in Christ. For my power is perfected in your weakness. The power is released through the abuse from the betrayer not in the betrayer, it's what you have to deal with. The power is released. There's a mystery being revealed to us here that is beyond profound. Immediately out of Paul's mouth, he didn't have to pray about it. He didn't have to run off to his old mountain spot and intercede with the Lord for 40 days. Immediately Paul responded and said, well then, I would rather boast, because remember his weakness was boasting, he was a bragger bragger. He was. That was his fleshly weakness. I've had bragger bragger flesh, but it's not my main weakness. Mine's pouting. But immediately says, okay then. I would rather boast about my infirmities that the power of God may be known. Therefore, I am well content with insults, persecutions, 
distresses. This is after two chapters of Paul listing out the hell he had been through. Shipwreck, beaten times without number, the Jewish lashes. You know what those are, kids? That's nine straps with shark teeth or an animal's teeth tied on the end of it and they whip them like that and it grabs the muscle and pulls it right out of their back. So here he is making this statement, therefore I am well content. And with that contentment, he added on one single word. With with difficulties. Well, I thought what you just said was difficult enough. Why are you adding that in there? And then he makes the statement, which is one of my most favorite statements in the Word of God, although that's kind of hard to say because it's all good. But when Paul said these words, he says, I am not inferior to the most eminent apostle." Now, he just got nailed for being a bragger bragger. And he's saying, I am not inferior to the most eminent, it's royalty, apostle. Even though I am a nobody. When I read that for the first time in the spirit, I said, I don't know how he got that, I want it. I want to be the best of the very best in communicating this message, but know that I am a nobody. Paul's also famous for another little phrase. He who thinks he's something when he's nothing deceives himself. Something else I'm guilty of. Enemy always works on me to be something. Our identity matters for today is, if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do you even as the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you are to be perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. Now, those performance-based people listening, You're going to fail at that one. If you try to be as perfect as the Heavenly Father is perfect, you will fail. But I got news for you. If you truly are born again, you have the indwelling life living inside you, perfection already has been obtained. He's in you. You release him to let him do the perfection through you, you're good to go. Thank you for listening. Next week, we're going to kick in our new series, Oh My God, My Child is a Millennialist. may sound a little bit crass, but we mean it exactly the same way one of our supporters said it to me. Help. Oh my God, I just realized that my child's a millennialist. There's a lot of parents out there and grandparents saying the same thing. So we're going to cover a lot of fun details with that. So please be willing to join us for our new series.
been listening to Identity Matters Podcast. We appreciate having you join us today. Feel free to log on to our website at www.iomamerica.org. We have lots of resources available for you on the believer's identity in Christ. Again, thank you for joining us.